physically, all the challenges I'm having are ones that I am allowed to deal with. So my biggest challenges are fatigue. I'm in bed about 16 hours a day. If I had kids, if I had a different kind of job, um, if anything were different in my job, I would be on medical leave with no question. From UW-Tacoma, this is Pod Defiance. Welcome to Pod Defiance, where we don't lecture, but we do educate. I'm Eric Wilson-Edge. Today on the pod, the first in a series of episodes about the COVID-19 pandemic. We're now in year three of the pandemic, and case counts are falling. And while we don't know what this means, it felt like a good time to take stock of what we've experienced these past few years. Our first episode is a conversation with the UW-Tacoma Associate Teaching Professor, Cynthia Housen. Housen has been living with long COVID since October of 2021. It's been a long five months for Housen, but she stayed positive and has even found joy in perhaps the most unlikely of places, young adult fantasy fiction. Cynthia Housen, welcome to Pod Defiance. It's good to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. Um, so we are here to talk about the pandemic and the end of year two and the start of year three. And maybe things are changing. Maybe this is just sort of like the, the pandemic messing with our brains. <laughs> Who knows? But I think it's a good time to sort of uh, reflect, and look back and maybe look ahead. So I'm wondering if we could start with you talking about uh, what was your life like pre-pandemic? I love that question because I kind of don't remember. Like Facebook memories tell me a lot and tell me that I was much more active than I ever remember being. <laughs> Um, so big thing is travel. I think like I, probably the, the year before pandemic, I was in nine countries and I've got family in France and family in Vietnam. And so we want to see them as much as possible. And then I work in developing countries. So I want to, so I, I travel for work as well. Um, so that is a gigantic shift. And those things come in my classroom, the travel experience, the field work, the kinds of the kinds of work that I do. Um, are completely changed. But also pre-pandemic, I have always identified as uber social. <laughs> like I like a few close friends. It's not like at a party, I'm going to talk to 50 people, but I need to see people and have them in my everyday. And I always did. I always wanted to be close with everyone. I had, the, that's why I do required one-on-one -on -one meetings with students. I really like that interaction. Um, and those are those are things that now surprise me to remember because many of those things have been um, have been altered or you know to some extent I've noticed with other people too feel like it's over. So we, like I, I don't know, I feel like we really wonder if um, if anything from pre-pandemic life is coming back. Um, and then also lots of service times that I would be like three class quarter I would be on campus for many 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 hours. <laughs> So all of that, where, where I am and who I see, completely different and difficult to remember. Uh, yeah, I have the sort of, I have the same experience. It all is sort of exists as a, like a fog, like it's out there and I can, I can identify maybe the shape of the thing, but I can't really tell you much beyond that. 
And I don't know if that's a function of just memory or just sort of the collective, I think, trauma we've all experienced the last Mm -hmm. several years. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important to, you know, when you talk about, you were talking about your, uh, your work, I think it's important if you can talk a little bit about sort of your, your area of study and maybe some of the the courses you teach at UW Tacoma. Thanks. Um, Yeah. My PhD is in development studies. So the cocktail party summary of that is poor countries and how they be not poor. And that means that I'm teaching in ethnic gender and labor studies. That means, of course, I'm really interested in identity and power and intersectionality and the rules of the game, because the the rules that we play by are different depending on our identity. And in any country, that's going to be specific to the kinds of power dynamics that play out in that country. But it's also going to be about a history of colonialism and relationship with countries that are more powerful. And so all the things that we're struggling with right now in pandemic really hit at the heart of my scholarly interests. And that's something that's really great in the classroom. Probably classroom pandemic has been the best for me in comparison to the other areas that got challenging because um, my students are really willing to ask hard questions about differences of culture and power. And that's something that pandemic has really brought to the forefront. And so the fact that that classroom content is so kind of directly connected to what's hurting us right now, but also what our students have big strengths to provide. Um, the, the equity and inclusion conversations among our students are really impressive and our students bring kind of personal experience and expertise that you don't see at every school and you don't see in every community. And so that's something where the kinds of assignments that I always taught and the kinds of um, the kinds of things that I teach, making of modern Africa, gender and law, introduction to EGL, these are classes that really benefit from our student body and the lived experiences that our community has, including the traumatic ones, including the difficult ones. And that's true of pandemic as well, is that people's people's pandemic suffering, as terrible as it is, also brings compassion and understanding and an ability to think about the kinds of challenges that we're facing in ways that um, really bring value to my classroom. It's interesting as I was thinking, yeah, it would be a really interesting time to be in the field that you're in as, as to all the things you were saying, a global pandemic and, you know, seeing how that plays out when we have, when there's issues of inequity around the world and you see that play out like in terms of vaccines, right? Like, you know, like the U.S. has just like a, a ton of them, uh, but there are places in the world that are just struggling to get like just mm-hmm. like barely enough to to mm-hmm. even get started. So, yeah, it's really interesting to what you're saying. Yeah, it feels like a a field of study that feels very timely at this particular moment. Yeah, and patents for vaccines. Rich countries hoarded vaccines at the same time as throwing them away, and at the same time as saying Black Lives Matter. So if you realize the number of people who are dying around the world, and not only of COVID. Um, in the first year of pandemic, I read that the excess mortality due to malaria in Africa only because of COVID was reaching the rates of, of actual COVID deaths because COVID was affecting supply chains, and it still is. Um, so because you're affecting supply chains, you're also affecting the availability of access to various forms of health, health equipment and medicines 
in ways that um, have really important ripple effects that I think we're just only beginning to understand. So I want to turn back to you for a minute and how you're doing. Um, I think a lot of people, this has been a sort of a slog. So I, I want to check in and see how you're, you're doing, like, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, as we maybe round the corner on, on this thing, or mm-hmm. maybe this is just a, a little break. Who knows? <laughs> Thank you. I am definitely of the little break perspective. I'm very hopeful about long-term, like in the next decade, institutional reform and being able to think about ways that we can have, um, you know, more, more public health focused decision-making. But for now, um, your question was how I'm doing and I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, So physically all the challenges I'm having are ones that I am allowed to deal with. So my biggest challenges are fatigue. I'm in bed about 16 hours a day. If I had kids, if I had a different kind of job, um, if anything were different in my job, I would be on medical leave with no question. Um, so it's it, it's funny to say how I'm doing because my well-being, my my ability to be happy right now is largely the privilege of being able to take care of myself in really extreme ways. And that, um, and there's, uh, it's also the case that my dad has been diagnosed with a multiple, multiple myeloma the same week that I got COVID. So when my family's having a tough time emotionally and physically, um, and then, and cognitively. So the the thing that I'm seeing and I'm identifying with others a lot, um, my long COVID cognitive challenges where I'll just drop off sentences or just forget what I'm doing or struggle to fill a bottle of water. That's more challenging than you would think. I overfill those bottles of water like every single day. And I think, oh, if I'm going to concentrate a little more, maybe it'll be better. Um, but no, um, I have pretty serious ADD anyway. And um, and I think a lot of diseases, but long COVID in particular, it, it's exacerbating my existing weaknesses. So my existing ADD, my existing not quite necessarily having all the details. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a nutty professor. That is that this this job worked well for me because of that. Um, but it means that those questions, um, how I'm doing, is a matter of gratitude and a matter of luck that I'm not in pain. Um, where you know other people who are experiencing what I'm experiencing are deeply suffering either because of physical pain or financial incapacity to deal with it or other kinds of obligations that really I'm just thankful that I'm able to listen to my body and rest the way I need to. Um, when, when did you get um, uh, COVID? When, when, when did you, when did you October get that? 13th. Okay. October 13th. So that's, um, I guess we're on five months. And so in terms of I mean, there's so much we don't know about long COVID. Is, is there any sort of time frame that any, like a doctor could provide <laughs> to you? Like you could expect to feel back to your old self in any day now or? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, there is a long COVID clinic at the University of Washington, Seattle that I am trying to get hooked up with. And I have an appointment in July and they have been researching COVID since the beginning. 
but for the rest of us, for the majority of doctors and the majority of people, um, most of us don't have any idea. And even the researchers, I think they're hoping. So I'm hopeful that there's both mitigation of symptoms available as we learn more about COVID. And then also that we get more information about when people might start to feel better. Um, but I don't think that information exists. So at this point, I am, um, you know, I'm ready for this to continue another year. I'd be surprised if it was something that would continue for the rest of my life. But that we actually, we don't know that about COVID. But now I'm just making stuff up. So, you know, let's remember that I don't know anything about epidemiology. It sounds like a lot has changed for you in the last two years. Um, mm-hmm. That seems obvious uh, in our conversation. Um you know, is it, is this, has there been, is it a mix of change? Is, is it, is it, are there good things to go along with the things that are more challenging? Yeah. Um, well, and last year I was really burnt out. I think a lot of people were, and I had, um, I was chair of the SAIS faculty council. And so that was a, a big job with an IAS that has more than a hundred people. So it's a large faculty. There was a lot involved in the workload that I had last year. To do that during pandemic was extremely challenging, but I was ready for hard work. I walked into pandemic having done a study abroad in the Gambia, West Africa from January to March, 2020. So exactly the right time to be abroad in a sunny, beautiful country where people are super social and low anxiety. Um, It's a really good kind of time to be in a peaceful environment somewhere else. So when I started here, the first year of pandemic, I was ready for a high workload and some big challenges, um, and I did them. And that was fortunate in that I had my classes adapted to remote learning well. I didn't have children, so I didn't have a lot of the challenges of the first year that a lot of people did. Now, the lessons that I've learned are about burnout, are about listening to your body <laughs> and things that were that were relevant in the past to me, but like almost everybody, I knew how to not listen. I knew how to not pay attention to to fatigue because you can kind of get away with forcing yourself to work through it. And that's something that now that I can't, I actually have to go to bed as much as I try to force myself to do something different. There's a, there's a perspective that I get from that, that I definitely want to use in the future when I think about my investments and service and work and, um, and my family, you know, um, I also don't have the energy to support my parents while my dad's sick right now. So there's a lot of, a lot more to deal with, but I'm watching my friends and, um, it concerns me to see that I'm happier than a lot of people who are healthier. And I think that has a lot to do with um, the way that we take on too much and too much for the context of the level of stress that we're under. It's good to hear that, um, you know, you're still working through long COVID and it sounds pretty exhausting, but you also seem to be happy. So I'm, I'm curious you know, what, what's, what's the silver lining for you or what's, what's bringing you joy during, you know, during this, this just sounds like a waiting game to see when (laughs) you will be back to full health. (laughs) Um, The joy. So the silver lining 
is being able to understand different kinds of challenges, uh, like things that actually will improve my work and improve my classes. You know, I'm, I'm 43. In my late 30s is the first time I had a therapist. And needing a therapist unambiguously improved my teaching. It was good for my teaching to know what it was like to have my brain do things I didn't want it to do, to have to process issues around mental health. Um, and so this kind of physical challenge, I've never had a disability before, really. Um, so this level of disability is something that I think gives me um, the lessons that I'm learning about how to manage it and um, just an ability to understand some of the things that our students go through. Um, that's the silver lining. The joy is the cuddles and the blankets and the fan fiction, um, you know, 16 hours in bed when I'm only actually sleeping for less than that is um, six or seven hours of young adult fiction. <laughs> and, and that's really lovely, actually. <laughs> like, I wish I were the kind of person who was getting into like something deep and was, you know, learning and being, um, you know, culturally interesting and interested. I would love to be that kind of person. Um, I haven't read actually um, quality fiction since before grad school. So I think once my, once my brain got satisfied enough by being intellectual enough, I decided it was much more fun to watch Charmed and, and read young adult fantasy. So there's plenty of joy. Um, what, what what what's the attraction to you for young adult fantasy? What's mm -hmm. the appeal to you? <laughs> oh, we're gonna move in an embarrassing direction. <laughs> um, and, uh, and see, you're on mute, but but listeners, what I got was somebody raising his arms in joy at the notion that we're about to hear something embarrassing from me. Um, so what I like about young adult fiction is it's really young adult romance and um I am a super romantic. I was boy crazy as a kid and I fell in love when I was 14 and I haven't really been single since I turned 14. And high school was kind of a wonderful environment for me where I discovered that I could love everybody and that I could be happy by finding the most exciting and amazing thing about the people around me. And that's what became the joy of travel and the joy of meeting new people and the joy of learning about different cultures and different environments and and also like really getting into people's one-on-one -on -one deep stuff. Um, I get really excited by finding what's like what's amazing about someone and I think that comes from the first time doing that really falling in love. So I fell in love with one person and then I learned that you can kind of replicate that by falling in love with humanity. <laughs> and that's the thing that gives me joy all the time is to like meet new people, have a one-on-one -on -one with students and like learn something amazing about them. But underlying, I really do have this like inner 14 year old that just wants the people who are lonely to get to kiss and go to prom or whatever. <laughs> and just wants the vampires to be loved. <laughs> I don't know how that's embarrassing. That's, that's lovely. I mean, that's <laughs> a, I mean, there are, that is a beautiful way of, of experiencing life. I don't, I don't see that as embarrassing at all. Um, so have we learned anything? I think so. I, I wish we had learned something about 
the broader institutions that we need to be able to protect people and to be able to make good decisions. But um, we have learned to value mental health. We've learned to destigmatize therapy in a way that I think is dramatic. We've learned to tell a lot more truth about racism. A lot more people care about racism and are concerned about it, white people in particular. Um, a, a lot of people who were not thinking in terms of compassion around suffering and inequality, I think are forced to as we share trauma. So there's something about a collective trauma that has elements of solidarity to it. And our community in particular at UWT um, is really compassionate and really ready, I think, for a certain kind of solidarity, a certain kind of acknowledgement that we're all experiencing something and we all need accommodation and we all need um, flexibility. And those are things that I, I do see institutionally. Um, I see UWT, for example, filling out this disability form. Like when I saw the form, I thought, oh, this is gonna be great in EGL because this form is so exclusive and terrible. Um, and the form is from the federal law, right? There's, so it's a very kind of cold and not very easy to follow way to seek a disability accommodation. Again, good thing for me to learn since my students are doing this on a regular basis. But when I talked to the disability support office, I got support, right? I got a person who said, no, we totally understand that we don't know what long COVID is and that these questions that say like, can she lift 26 to 50 pounds or 50, right? Like really not appropriate to the question at all, right? Um, seeing that doesn't mean that I can't get the support I need. And that's because the people who work in those offices are actually aware of how our world is changing. And our world is changing faster than those forms and faster than the legislation might be. But we're seeing people respond socially in meaningful ways and in ways that allow us to support each other. So what will normalcy look like for you? Let's say it's 10 years from now and the pandemic is in the rearview mirror, hopefully. <laughs> um, what would it, what, 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 what is normalcy gonna look like for you? Uh, yeah. I I love this question because we've been talking, I mean, I feel like everyone's been talking about it all along that someday we'll get back to normal and this isn't normal. Um, I feel like phases across a century happen differently. And, um, and I think we're in a shift and I, there I'm, I'm open to many potential futures because I've never been good at predicting it. But the likelihood that we return to anything like what we were at before seems implausible. And so what I picture for the next two years or 10 years or 20 years is I can see a really bad bad and I can see a really good good. People come together to do amazing things and they can be horrible and wonderful and probably both. I don't picture normal, I guess. Is the answer to that. I think there will be new normals and multiples of them. And I suspect that I'm entering an age of midlife where I say it was normal before back in the, when the, in the old days. <laughs> and now I don't know what new chaos is happening with these newfangled ideas. I can, I could totally see myself just um, <laughs> like, so I, I expect significant change and I expect to become decreasingly comfortable with it as people do when they age.
The music you're hearing is by UW Tacoma Associate Teaching Professor Nicole Blair. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. You will find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Pocket Casts. Thank you.